Let me just pray quickly before you sit down, okay? There's, a, there's an old legend that Charles Spurgeon, and I'm in no way comparing myself to him. I'm just little compared to... But he had 13 steps up to his pulpit, and on the way up, each step he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And uh, <clears throat> that's important. Without the Spirit being here today, doing his work in us, my words are useless. So let me just pray, invite the Spirit in, and uh, we'll go from there. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to be here, illuminating our minds, opening our hearts, transforming our affections, pointing the spotlight on Jesus so that we may worship him better than we did yesterday. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I need an extra dose of the Spirit's grace today. I've been battling with... uh, I had the flu, I'm I'm past the contagious stage, so when you see me, don't do a big, you know, U-E. But I'm just a little bit foggy and that sort of thing in my mind uh, as I try to, still recovering from that. Well, today I want to start off by asking two questions, and I want, this is your opportunity to participate, okay? So the first question is this. As Christians, do you have access to enough information and knowledge about the Bible and the Christian faith. So, you know, you have sermons, studies, classes, books, the internet, you can Google whatever you want. If you think that, yes, we do, then put your hand up. Okay, I don't see anybody who does, but I'd like, if you didn't put your hand up, I'd like to see you after class. Okay? The second question is this. Over the past two years, and I don't know, I just picked two years as a, as a big enough time frame to kind of measure this in your own mind, would you say that your faith is thriving? Now, by thriving, I mean is it, it's de- defined as vigorous growth. It speaks of a journey toward health and success. So if you think of our definition of a disciple that I put up earlier, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and engaged in the mission of Jesus. Over the last two years... Are you more fully following Jesus? Have you experienced transformation in your lives? Are you more fully engaged in the mission of Jesus? So if you feel yes, I'd like you to to put up your hand. Okay, a lot less hands, but still some. That's good. I'm happy to see some are. Those of you who didn't, you're not alone. Okay, Barna just put out a study that concluded the faith of two-thirds of Christians in the U.S., and I think it's the same in Canada, has either plateaued or is in decline. Another study that just came out in the the United States said that 50% of all Christians are stuck in the toddler stages of faith. Stuck in the toddler stages of faith. And I've tested these conclusions myself, just walking around kind of in informal relationships, asking those two questions, and it's basically the same. Yes, we have all kinds of information at our, our disposal, more than we've ever had in the history of humanity. And yet I don't feel like I'm being transformed to the degree that I'm supposed to be. This really hit home when someone I really love, an older, older person, said to me, I do Bible studies, I go to church, I listen to sermons, I go to classes, and I don't feel like I'm experiencing transformation. 
that I'm changing to be more like Jesus. So what is the cause of spiritual plateau and decline in North America? Conclusion I've come to is fundamentally it's rooted in a faulty understanding of how disciples are made. And this is manifested in what Ralph Neighbor calls the program-based church. The program-based church has an underlying assumption that drives everything that it does. The assumption is knowledge or Bible truth changes people. Now, we know that that's not in and of itself true. Bible knowledge is important. Obviously, it has a huge role to play in the transformation of God's people. But who had all the Bible knowledge in Jesus' day? Who were the most biblically literate people of Jesus' day? The Pharisees. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. So obviously, Bible knowledge does not equal transformation, because if it did, the Pharisees would have been the most transformed people on the face of the planet. Now what the program-based church does then is because they believe that knowledge transforms people, they build programs. And these programs are generally centered around more Bible knowledge. And so if you look at most churches, many churches, and you go around to their different ministries, all of the ministries are set up like Sunday morning. You come in, you sit in rows facing the front, you might have a worship song or two, an expert gets up on the platform, they deliver and disseminate more information to you, you absorb it, mission accomplished. It's actually very pragmatic. If the underlying assumption is true that that knowledge changes people, then that's the most efficient way to make disciples, is to set up information-based programs where you disseminate knowledge en masse, and then you're making disciples. Well, commenting on this philosophy of ministry, authors Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck say this. If knowledge equated transformation, and Eric Geiger is a pastor of Mariner's Church out on the the west coast of the United States, big church, 5,000 plus, and uh, his co-author is Kevin Peck, and he says, if knowledge equated transformation, our churches would be filled with transformed disciples, as knowledge is frequently dispensed in many churches every week. This is going on across North America right now, what we're doing, right? And I'm not, don't get me wrong, this is necessary. What we're doing is necessary. But if that's what you think is the only ingredient uh, to make a disciple, then we're missing out. So how did we get here? How did we get to this place where we believe this? Now, I, uh, this is just by way of introduction. I want to suggest to you that it's very important to understand, here we are, how did we get here? Like, for instance... If you're financially a mess, right, you have credit cards maxed out and you don't have any money in your account and you're bouncing checks all the time, it's a good question to ask, well, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? There's some lies that I believe that got me here. The actions that got me here are not necessarily uh, the things that got me here. They, They did, but it's the underlying assumptions that got me here. So one of the underlying assumptions over here might be, hey, Um, You're a consumer, and you need what we have uh, in order to feel fulfilled. So you need to spend, 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 and keep buying stuff so that you feel good, right? Another lie might be, hey, delayed gratification. You don't want delayed gratification. You want instant gratification. So max out your cards, get the stuff that you want, 
and then you'll be happy. So we believe these lies, <clears throat> boom, 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 they land us where we are, broken in debt. Okay, you following with me? Does that make sense? So how did we end up with this kind of philosophy? And I'm going to connect some dots here. You can think about it. But I think this is, I, actually, I passed this all by Michael Haken, so he gave it his rubber stamp of approval, if that means anything. Um, so let's go back to the 1700s. <laughs> During the 1700s, they were having a, a scientific crisis. They didn't understand how the solar system worked. Is the Earth at the center and everything goes around the Earth? That's what kind of the prevailing thought of the day was. And then Sir Isaac Newton, using reason and logic and uh, the powers of his mind, figured out that we live in a heliocentric solar system. Heliocentric means the sun's at the center and everything goes around the sun. <clears throat> well, you may say, whoop-de-doo, like what's the big deal? Well, how would that be such a big, how did that influence us today? Well, here's a, Alexander uh, Pope, who was a poet, wrote a little poem about, about Newton, and here's one of the lines. Nature and nature's laws lay hid in night. God said, let there be Newton, and all was light. Right? I mean, he's playing on Genesis chapter 1, but Newton, through the faculty of reason and knowledge, was able to open up everything. Now, this was massive. So the philosophers of the day, David Hume, Voltaire, concluded that if reason could decipher and explain nature, then it can do the same for politics and social science. Right? Through reason, we could achieve utopia. And this, the, the result was unparalleled. Right? It, was, it was advances in the areas of science, philosophy, individual rights, political science. This is where the Bill of Rights came from in the United States. This is the impetus of the French Revolution, where we kick out monarchies and, and install democracies. Right? This is where all the, the fundamental rights, individual rights, came from, was this movement. Now, <clears throat> religion was not immune to the tides of reason that were sweeping through Europe during the 18th century. I want to show you a quote from John Wesley. So Wesley is speaking to, so Wesley is one of the great images of the uh, 1700 um, in, uh, revivals, right? Probably a, one of the best known figures along with George Whitfield. And Wesley is speaking to an early Methodist preacher named Thomas Maxfield and he said, this is what Wesley says, he dislikes overvaluing feelings and inward impressions, mistaking the mere work of imagination for the voice of the spirit. Okay, so far that sounds good. Expecting the ends without the means, okay. But here's the, here's the phrase that shows you how much this enlightenment thinking influenced religious thinking. Undervaluing reason, knowledge, and wisdom in general. See, the religious leaders of the day started to buy in to the Enlightenment thinking that reason, knowledge, can solve all of our religious problems too. It can help us to be transformed, right? Now he goes on, this one uh, comes out of actual one of Michael Haken's uh, papers, um, and he says, uh, many of Wesley's contemporary evangelicals were imbued with similar convictions. Thomas Gibbons, who was a congregational minister in the 1700s, wrote a poem entitled, Reason and Religion the Same. Reason and Religion the Same. <clears throat> and then Samuel Walker of Truro, this is again cited in, in um, Dr. Haken's paper, he was the pioneer of Cornish evangelicalism. 
he would encourage all of his young converts to take courses in logic. So this has carried over now into our day where we've bought into the lie that knowledge equals transformation. Now, I'm not, I'm not um, disparaging knowledge. We need knowledge, right? But we've bought into it to the point where we've become imbalanced. So what's the solution to this problem? In September, Pastor Jamie preached a sermon from Colossians in which he suggested that as Christians, we want to be involved in certain things. So I'm going to quickly go over those, and then I'm going to spend the majority of my time on number three, which has to do with serving. <coughs> so the first thing that Pastor Jamie said that we should be committing to, these are, there's five things, is weekly worship. Now, weekly worship wasn't man's idea. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 23, you will see that God instituted a whole bunch of festivals. And one of the festivals was a weekly festival, what we do today. So at the establishment of God's people, God said, I want you to, to meet weekly and to celebrate me. It's going to be a celebration of who I am, what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm going to do. You meet together weekly, and through the preaching of the word, through worship, through prayer, through just gathering together I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. So this is part of God's plan that leads to transformation. And I don't know about you, but there's lots of times, there's times when I, I, I don't, you know, Sunday you get up, you, oh, you'd rather sleep in or whatever, but you make a conscious commitment to be here because you're trusting that God's going to use this meeting to change you from the inside out. The average Christian in North America only attends Sunday services once or twice a month now. If that's you here today, you're a one or a two a monther, then you're cheating yourself out on what God wants to do in your life. When I come here, I'm blessed by the preaching of the word. Have you not been blessed by the preaching of God's word? We've been blessed with lots of good preaching, and it's fantastic. I'm blessed by the music. That last song opened my heart up, right? What Jesus has done for us, our response to him, it was beautiful. But I'm blessed by other things. I'm blessed when I see people who I know are going through tough stuff in life and they come up and they drop a thing in this prayer tube in spite of their circumstances. I'm blessed when I'm talking to Alan McGuirl and I'm sharing a personal struggle with me and he says, let me pray for you right now on the spot. And he puts his hands on me and he prays for me. I'm blessed when I see Jamie and Vanessa lifting their hands to God in spite of all that they've gone through still trusting and loving Christ. That's part of the corporate gathering of, of weekly worship, why we come together. Just the, the chit-chat in the, in the hallways and stuff. There's just blessing upon blessing on Sunday morning. The second thing, <clears throat> we're called to a community. Right? God originally established the extended family as that community. The extended family in North America is pretty much over, folks. It's not in most parts of the world, but it is here, and we need to find ways to replace that, and that's our community groups. And in community groups, you go from, you know, 500 people down to 15, and all of a sudden, you start to, you know, have to put into practice the one another's, bearing one another's burdens, you know, praying for one another, confessing to one another. It gets messier you got to live with broken people like yourself, people who don't show up every Sunday, people who let you down. 
People who whine and complain, and I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. But in community, God has called us into community. And through that, God supernaturally transforms us as we learn to love one another in spite of our sinful, selfish brokenness. Amen? We've done a lot of work to grow our community groups. We were at 22%, we're almost at 50%. We've made room for you. If you're not in a group, reach out to the church and ask to be in one. And we'll get you into one. The third area, use your spiritual gifts to serve. You know, most people are stuck in the toddler stage or the teen stage. Well, what are teens known for? Me, 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 right? It's all about me. Well, the best way to counteract being a spiritual teenager is to start to look outside yourself and to start to serve other people, right? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's given you spiritual gifts to use so that you can get outside of yourself and start to look outward and start to serve other people. And through that, God will transform you and will change you to be more like Jesus, The next one is evangelism. You know, when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to worship. You'll be able to worship God 24th, well, that probably won't even be time, but however time is measured, you'll be able to worship him all the time. He'll be right there. And I'm looking forward to that. Won't that be awesome? There'll be community. You know, I'm hoping I get to go over to King David's house and play some chess or, you know, get on the guitar. There'll be community. We'll be able to engage with one another in ways that we never even dreamt of. We'll be serving one another because we won't be selfish. The Trinity is the example of what this is based on. The Trinity is selfless. They serve one another. They love one another. They, they bless one another. It's not about the, the one person. It's about the other two. And if that's happening with everybody, then everybody's taken care of. But when you get to heaven, you will no longer be able to evangelize. I love John Piper's quote. It says, evangelism exists because worship doesn't. There's people who don't worship Christ and are going to end up in hell. Do you believe that? Sometimes I think we just, I don't know, do do we believe it? If we do, what are we doing? How how can we live our lives in such slothful indulgence if there's people going to hell all around us and we have this little limited window of time that God has graced us with to be able to make a difference in our society? Oh, that we would wake up and be engaged. We did this who's your one thing. How many people have been doing this? This was given to help give you a tool to start moving towards Reaching out to one person this year. That's it, one. That's the only thing you won't be able to do. So make it a priority. The last is one-on-one disciple-making. Something very special happens when you, and this is biblical, God, you know, older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women. We're supposed to be investing in one another, walking alongside one another. The same way a parent does with a kid, you know, teaches him how to tie his shoes, teaches him how to feed himself. This is a special part of what it is all about. The other things happen kind of corporately. This is the one that happens kind of individually. This is where you can really pour your heart out to one another and pray for one another and help one another. 
If you don't have a spiritual mentor and you need one, get one. Reach out to me, I'll find you one. If you should be mentoring someone and you don't have, find somebody. Now you're probably looking at these things and you're thinking, okay, what does this have to do with spiritual growth? This is not a checklist. I do these five things and I'm spiritually transformed. But oh, no. These are environments that you place yourself in. You could enter in, you could do all five of those things with the wrong attitude and the wrong heart and you won't be transformed. But I promise you, I, th- I think I could promise this based on God's word, if you place yourself with the right attitude and the right heart into these five areas, God will transform you. He will change you. Now, you go, well, that's a lot of stuff. 10 hours a week. 10 hours a week. You know, you come to weekly worship, a couple hours there, you go to your community group, another two, three hours there. Use your spiritual gift one, two hours a week. You engage in evangelism as you're going through your week, an hour, maybe two hours, and you're involved in a mentoring relationship another two hours, right? Two hours each, say. And you, maybe you steal an hour from one place or another. Ten hours a week, and God will transform your life if you come into it with the right heart and the right attitude and say, God, use me. Change me. Make me to be more like Jesus. But the problem is, see, this brings spiritual balance. Most of us, what we do is we avoid number four. We spend extra time in the, in the, in the serving area, maybe. Extra time here. We don't do the, the, the number five. So we spend all of our ten hours in one, two, and three. That's not going to work. That's not going to change you. I'll tell you a quick um, story. When I was at Acadia... Just come to Christ. And I didn't know any better. I thought, sharing the gospel, that's what, that's what Christians do. So I went down my entire floor, and I invited everybody to come to my room and to hear the gospel. So about 10 of them came, out of 50 or whatever. <laughs> and I finished, I was just a crude drawing on a piece of Bristol board on my dorm wall, I did the bridge to life, the navigator bridge to life, because that's all I knew. Everybody got up and they left. And I was like, oh, that was a waste of time. And I kind of needed to be encouraged, so I went down the hall to talk to this one guy from Wales, wasn't a Christian guy, was in the room. And uh, Dave Cooper. And uh, the door was open a little bit, so I opened it, I started to go in. And there's Dave on his bed, on his hands and knees, repenting. That changed, that transformed me instantly. God can use me. A feeble little drawing on a piece of Bristol board with a marker. And God used me to bring David Cooper to Christ, who now is back in Wales, and last year sent me an MS, a messenger saying, hey, I actually never got to thank you for what you did at Acadia. But it changed my life. And I just got married, and I was, I was to the moon that month, right? God used me to change a person's life. Was it scary? Yeah. I had to put myself out there. But that's what, how you get transformation, is you trust that God is going to come through and show up. That's what faith is. And if you never put yourself in a spot where you have to trust God, you're never going to see him show up. You've got to hang it out there and say, I'm in. Use me and show up like you promised to do. So these are not checklists. These are like environments, just like a seed 
for a plant, you know, the power is in the seed. I can't make the seed grow, but I can place the seed into a thing of dirt, and I can make the pot, put it in a place where it's going to get sunlight, and I can pour water on it. And those environments, those things, help the seed to grow. But if I just keep the seed in my pocket, it's never going to change, right? You've got to put yourself, like the seed, in the right environment so that the Holy Spirit can work in you and change you. All right, let's get on to number three here. Why spiritual gifts? I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 to 13. So four, starting in seven. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So right away, it says, when Jesus ascended, when he went back to be with the Father, right, I'm, I'm filling in some of the blanks, because he promised this back in John 17, he would send the Spirit of God to indwell us. When the Spirit of God comes and indwells you, lives inside of you, he gives you spiritual gifts. Right? That's what that verse basically says. If you are a a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, you have been given spiritual gifts to serve him and to serve the church and to serve the world. Now let's skip a couple of verses because it gets um, number nine... Uh, gets a little bit, 9 and 10. Let's go down to 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There it is. That's the purpose for the gift, so that the body of Christ may be built up so that the church of Christ will reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. That's why we've been given the spiritual gifts. We've been given the spiritual gifts to build the body up to spiritual maturity. You know, if you go back to the disciples, back in in Mark chapter 10, you can flip over there if you like, I can just summarize it for you. But uh, Mark chapter 10, the disciples are quabbling about who gets to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. Like talk about not getting it, right? And then in Mark chapter 10, Jesus calls and guys, come here. Let me kind of fill you in on, on some things, okay? He goes, you know, if you want to become the greatest, you got to become the least. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you got to be a servant to everybody. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even Jesus didn't come to, if if anybody could come to earth and demand to be served, it was Jesus. But he said, I didn't even come here to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And you're my servants. Servants do what the, the master does, what the master asks. Michael Wilkins is a professor. He comments on this passage. He says, this passage is important for us to examine because it is the key to understanding Jesus' perspective of discipleship. 
by comprehending the essence of Jesus' ministry as servanthood, the disciples will comprehend the essence of discipleship as servanthood. See, oftentimes we think of serving as some side gig, some add-on. Serving is the essence of discipleship. That's what you're being called to do as disciples. Now, part of that is is the fault of the program-based design. You see, the program-based design builds programs to disseminate knowledge, and then what they do, in order to run the programs, they have to recruit people in to run the programs. They don't consult your spiritual gifts. They don't, it's not about you, it's about running the programs. And so we run programs, and so serving just becomes seen as this add-on thing we do to make programs run. But that's not what Jesus is saying. The essence of discipleship is servanthood. Look at these figures in history, in biblical history. Moses and Joshua. Moses discipled Joshua. Why did Moses disciple Joshua? Did he disciple Joshua so, so Joshua could feel, you know, mature inside and at peace and like he was having, you know, a good quiet time every day and, and that sort of thing? Maybe part of it. The main reason Moses was training Joshua was for service, to serve his people, to lead his people into the promised land. Amen? Elijah and Elijah. Elijah, I wish that they didn't have different names. Those names always messed me up. But Elijah and Elijah. Elijah was going to be taken to heaven. He gets a hold of Elijah. He disciples Elijah. Why does he disciple Elisha? Because he's going to replace him as the next prophet of Israel. He's going to serve He's discipling him for service in the kingdom. Jesus and the disciples. Did Jesus just come and what did he, he gets a group together and they just sit around, hold hands, and sing kumbaya? He's preparing them to serve. He's pouring his life into them so that they can be the ones who lead his church. Paul and Timothy. Paul pours into Timothy because he wants Timothy to be a church planning apostle like himself. So he pours his life into Timothy. Discipleship leads to service. That's the whole point. So what are the spiritual gifts? The six main passages that speak about spiritual gifts, there's three in Corinthians, Ephesians, one in Romans that we read at the beginning of the service, and then one in 1 Peter. And so we're not going to go into all this. You can kind of consult those on your own. But together they give you kind of a broad uh, view of what the different gifts are. Are. And so let's look at the next slide. Oh, sorry, this, this one here is interesting. It says, according, there's one poll out there that says 80% of churchgoers don't understand what their spiritual gifts are. 80%. So again, I put this to the test. I started asking people, what's your spiritual gift? What's your spiritual gift? What's your spiritual gift? What's your spiritual gift? One person said to me their spiritual gift was sewing. Another person said their spiritual gift was carpentry. Now those are skills but they're not spiritual gifts. So a spiritual gift could be serving, and you could use your skill of sewing in serving. You could use your gift of carpentry in sewing, but the fact that some people don't even know what the spiritual gifts are is very concerning. You've been given spiritual gifts, and 80% don't know what they are. Now, we've been doing a lot of work on this lately, trying to shore that up. I don't know if you've noticed. But here's a list of the spiritual gifts, not all of them, and you can break these down into different ways, serving, speaking, knowledge gifts. You could go the Old Testament route, king, prophet, priestly gifts. 
You could go head, heart, and hand gifts. There's different ways to categorize them. But there's different gifts that God has given to us. Administration, leadership, hospitality, giving, service, mercy, faith, discernment. You know, there's lots of gifts. And you've been given one, two, three gifts. I don't know how many you've been given. But God has given you these gifts so that you can serve. So what do we do with this information? Well, what we've come to realize here uh, at West Highland is the role of church leadership is to help its members identify their gifts and integrate them into appropriate ministries, right? I've never been to a church that's done this. I don't know if you have. I don't know of any church in Canada that's doing this. So this is kind of cutting-edge stuff. It's kind of fun. We've set up on our website, you can go in there, you can go to westhighland.org serve, You'll be given a, sir, um, a, a questionnaire, and this, isn't a, this, this questionnaire didn't fall from heaven, it's not divinely inspired, it's to get the conversation going to help you figure out what your gifts are so that we can help you get serving in an area that aligns with your giftedness. And I don't, it doesn't even matter if it's in the church. We can serve in the community. We can serve, you know, it, it's not about West Highland, it's about the kingdom. And so you go on there and it will give you what, the shape inventory. Shape is an acronym. S is your spiritual gifts. So we'll figure out what your spiritual gifts are or, or get, get you thinking about that. Heart. You know, what's, what's, what are you passionate about? Abilities. What are some of your skills that you have? Personality. What's your personality type? Because that figures into it. And then your experiences because that also figures into it, right? <clears throat> so one of your application steps from this message is go to the West Highland website Fill that out. When you push the, the finish button, that'll get sent off to Vicky Jaster. And then Vicky will send that to what we, we call the ghost team. Gift-oriented service team. And the, they will set up a meeting with you to meet with you to make sure that this thing is actually, actually accurate. And then we'll help you find a place to put your gifts into practice. Right? And that's what we want to do. We don't want a gathering of consumers right? What we want to do in Hamilton is raise up an army of servers who go out and serve this city in such a way that the city goes, what's going on with these people? Are they nuts? They just keep giving and giving and giving. And if West Highland ever was wiped off the map, our city would be a much worse place for it. An army of servers. We have a thousand people here. Imagine if we all stood up and started to serve in accordance with our gifts, what that would do to the city, our neighborhoods. Man, we could make a huge difference. So what are the benefits of serving? One, you help build up the church. When you serve, there's lots of opportunities to serve on Sunday morning here. Greeters and nursery and children and all kinds, ushers. When you do that, you provide an opportunity for people to come here on Sunday morning and to be blessed. That's building up the church. When you help, in a, if you're part of a community group, you serve your community group. You know, you're showing hospitality, service, teaching, shepherding. Use your gift in your community group. That helps to build up the church. Use your gifts to help build up the church. The second one is, you can help expand the church. Expand the church. We're about mission. That's why we've been left here. I'd rather just be with Christ. We've been left here with a job to do. 
You can help expand the church. Think about Alpha. You come to Alpha, you serve as a table leader in the kitchen, childcare, tech, a greeter. You saw Faye at the beginning here. She came out and was a greeter, and she created an opportunity, a space, to expand the church. People came into Alpha. They took the Alpha course. Two of them came to Christ. Eight of them are coming back who aren't Christians to carry on with the Gospel of John study, and we have another ten people signed up. We expand the church as we use our gifts. The King's Garden, they're out there serving, 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 giving thousands and thousands of pounds of food away, expanding the church. The street reach ministry, going downtown, serving the homeless, expanding the church, sharing the gospel, praying for people. Use your gifts to help expand the church. And like I said, it doesn't matter if you do it through West Highland. Go find a place to use your spiritual gifts and serve. That's the point of this. The next one. You function in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times, we, if we don't use our gift, we're doing it in our own strength, right? But when you serve in alignment with your gift, you're actually, it's like you're a boat, the Holy Spirit's the wind, you hoist your sail up, you catch the wind of the Spirit, and now you're serving in the power of the Spirit, and you have joy and contentment. There's a study out there that says there's nothing that gives a Christian greater joy and contentment than serving and using their spiritual gifts. Nothing. So if you're not using your spiritual gifts, you're missing out. It's not the church, well, the church is missing out too, but you're missing out. You know, there's, now this, I, I got a, just a little caveat. <clears throat> you know, you can say, well, okay, well, I'm just going to use my spiritual gifts. I'm never going to use, I'm never going to do anything that doesn't have to do with my spiritual gifts. So I don't have the gift of serving, like that's low on my gift inventory. So when you say, hey, Chris, can you put the chairs away, help put the chairs away, I uh, no. It's not my spiritual gift. <laughs> well, my boss, my old boss, used to have what he called the 80-20 rule. You want to be operating 80% within your spiritual gift set, 20% outside of that. Right? We've got, all got to do things that we don't particularly enjoy or want to do, but we've got to do them just to get them done. You know, someone like, you, you ask John Jordan... Hey, John, you want to put the chairs away? John Jordan is, I don't know if he's here this morning. What a, what a fantastic guy. John Jordan would, there's John Jordan. He would just be smiling, putting chairs away. And I'm scratching my head saying, I don't get it. But that's his gift. He does get it, right? He's looking at me right now thinking, I would never want to get up there. Hey, John? Yeah, I don't want to get up there. That's not my gift. So we need to use our gifts, but that doesn't mean that we say no to things that aren't in line with our gift. But stay in your lane as much as you can, because that's where the power of the Spirit is going to be found. Next one. <clears throat> I talked about this already. You experience greater joy and contentment than in any area of life. You've been given a gift. You know, it's like a, if you're given a skill. If my skill was, you know, music, and I just never played music, how miserable am, am I going to be? If that's my passion, if that's who God has made me to be, and I'm not using it, I'm not going to have joy and contentment in life. God has given you these things. Well, I want to close with this. We're all created to serve somebody, aren't we? You are created to serve. Bob Dylan, in his Christian era, Slow Train Coming album put out a song that said, you got to serve somebody. 
And he says, you, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Before I became a Christian, you know, I was serving the devil. Now, you don't know that. There's an old saying, the best trick the devil ever played is convincing us he doesn't exist. But he gets you to serve him in ways that it doesn't matter to him how you're serving as long as you're not serving God. You're serving money, sex, power, yourself, whatever it is, you're serving something other than God. And when you're doing that, you're serving the devil. <coughs> but what happened at university as I came to see Jesus for who he was, the Holy Spirit shone the light on Jesus, and I saw the suffering servant who stretched out his arms to pay your debt and my debt, all the evil things we've said, thought, or done, and absorbed it upon his own soul so that we could be set free. And when I saw that, I bowed the knee and I said, I'm going to serve you. I'm done serving him. No more. I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. Now, I, I fail and I, I still revert back to old sinful uh, tendencies and practices, but that's the trajectory of my life since seeing Jesus for who he really is. You know, Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. That's serving language. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now I want to make an appeal to those who don't, who, who maybe have been serving the devil and they didn't even realize it. Serving themselves. Serving the world. The devil's in charge of the world. And when you see Jesus for who he truly is, it's a time to make a decision and to say, I'm not going to serve the devil anymore. I'm going to serve Jesus. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives you gifts. And then you can start to serve God the way that you were intended to. So let's bow your heads. I want to just close us in prayer and give those who may want an opportunity to respond to today's message who have been serving self or the world an opportunity to respond. So today, if, I don't know, people find their ways in here in different ways. You were invited by a friend. You've been coming for a while. You haven't, things are starting. The pennies dropped today. You're starting to see the need to bow your knee to Jesus, to acknowledge him as the Savior and the Lord of your life, and to begin to serve him. If that reflects your heart this morning, just slip your hand up quietly. Thank you, up there in the balcony. Anybody else? Thank you, back there at the back. Anybody else would like to transition from serving the evil one to serving the Son of God? Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your grace, your mercy, that you 
died for us and that you've called us into service to follow you, to love you, to serve you. Thank you that you've given us gifts to do that. And I pray as, as leaders in the church that we would help our people to figure out their gifts and to help them to get serving in an area that makes sense for them. And that through that, by being engaged in service, that they would experience the transformation that only you can bring about by your spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Going back to the passage that we read at the beginning, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. We belong to one another. We need to serve one another. And so I just challenge you today to find out what your gift is and to put it into use so that you can experience the joy and contentment and the blessing of being transformed more into the image of Christ every day. Bless you. Have a great Sunday in Jesus' name.